And I'm very excited about this week's episode of That's Outrageous. This is very exciting. We're, we're, we're really, you know, knocking it out of the park with guests lately, I have to say. I know we have a very interesting guest on today. His name is Jimmy Giannopoulos. Yep. And he is a director. He has had one film come out and has another one on the way. So he's a new director. And an accomplished musician too. So we are going to talk to him real soon. But first, this is That's Outrageous. And I am Chrissy. And I'm Ann. And this is the podcast where we get full-on A-list directors, motherfuckers. (laughs) Okay, we're going to get to Jimmy in one second. But first, we're just going to do a a little bit of news. Just a little bit. It wouldn't, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be this podcast if we don't have some sort of weird news before we go into the hard-hitting interview. That's right. We have, we do have some. All right. So this, this is a real feel-good story, Anne, which I think is a good introduction to Jimmy because he's a very positive type of person. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, I'll be the judge of this. Let's see. A New York City cab driver had taken an, a man uh, for a ride nine years ago in New York City. Okay. This guy was Irish from Ireland, visiting from Ireland. Right. When they got to his destination, which was at four in the morning. So who knows what kind of condition this man was in? <laughs> a young man. Who's a young man? He told the cab driver, uh, the cab driver's name is John McDonough, that he did not have money for the fare. Okay. So, but he said to him, he's like, listen, my family owns a bar in Dublin and he was, he just thought he was telling him his story. He says, yeah, everyone owns a bar in Dublin because he's like, no, I swear my family owns a bar in Dublin. And if you come to Ireland, I will get you free pints of Guinness as a repayment for this. For, first, you have to book an, uh, <laughs> an ex- very expensive flight to Ireland, <laughs> find a place to stay. And then as payment, I'm going to give you some beer. Yes. Okay. Yes. And he said they worked it out almost like Wall Street brokers, what the exchange rate between the dollar and the euro, and then how much that would translate into pints of Guinness in Dublin. Okay. Okay. Again, this is happening at four o'clock in the morning. They're doing full math and uh, okay. Right. So this, this Irishman, his name was Shane. He wrote an IOU to McDonough (laughs) with the name of his parents pub in Dublin And was like, I'm telling you, this is going to happen. So in the meantime, now this is very interesting too. This cab driver has come up with a one-man show about his stories of driving a New York City cab for 40 years. I bet it's good. It's probably fascinating. I bet it's good too. And, you know, he's honed it over the years and he was going to Ireland. He was going to perform this one-man show. He's performing his one-man show in Ireland? Yeah. Uh, So he's like, you know what? I'm going to Ireland and I'm going to go find this pub and I'm going to cash it in. And he was, I guess he was somehow in touch with the guy. He's like, I'm coming. This is the day I'm coming. I'm bringing my, it was not, sorry, nine years have passed. Have I mentioned that? Yes. And so they had a banner ready to welcome him. His mother, the, the kid's mother was like, what was my son doing in your cab at four in the morning? And the cat, the Irish cab driver in true form says, oh, he was working the night shift at St. Vincent de Paul, trying to make it sound like he was doing charitable work in the middle of the night. Yeah. Anyway, 
So they uh, they all had a grand old time. He got his free pints at this pub and the debt is repaid. Okay. And I will say his one man play is called Off the Meter on the Record. <laughs> okay. And I thought you'd be more tickled by this story. Mm. Okay. Nine years. I don't know. Next story. And how many beers was it? Two. That's it? That's it. Okay. First of all, he should be able to drink for free for that night is what he should have had. I think he did. I mean, I don't think they held him to the two beers. Can you imagine if they did? And then he got a bill at the end. They were delighted that he came. You should put that in the show. I'm sure that's in the show. I'm sure that's in the show. Yeah. All right. All right. Wow. God, tough crowd. Okay. Okay. Here's one more story. in. Okay. This is a scary one. (laughs) Although ironic. There was a group of college wrestlers. Already I'm scared. (laughs) Went out. um, This was in Wyoming. They went antler hunting. hunting. I'm not quite sure what that means. Antler. They're killing animals for their antlers. It sounds like they were just looking like maybe, you know how, you know how at a certain time of year deer shed their antlers. Yeah. Maybe they're just, I don't know why they call it hunting. Maybe they're just looking for the antlers. Right. But anyway, there was four of them. And for some reason they split up two and two. So while they were walking back to the car, one of them noticed bear marks on the ground. Uh Oh, and just as he was pointing them out to his friend, they heard a crashing sound coming through the trees and a grizzly bear tackled him, (gasps) causing him to fall five feet off a ledge oh my and then it started chomping on his arm chomping chomping it got a hold of his arm was was shaking him around and broke the arm don't they say with when a bear aren't you supposed to like play dead is that for bears yes so then the other wrestler i just think this is ironic that these are wrestlers wrestlers. can't they wrestle this bear yeah this is like some kind of like joke but it's not So the other one was trying to get the bear's attention by throwing things at it so that it would get off of his friend, but the bear was not stopping. So then he's eating the guy's arm. He's like, uh, sorry, that stick isn't as interesting to me as this man's full arm that I'm eating. Yeah. So then this guy got to give him all the credit in the world. He jumps on the bear. He should do his wrestling moves on him. Yeah. So then the bear released the first guy and then came for the other one. Uh oh. So then the bear quit. Then the bear wandered off. So they thought it was okay. So the one scrambled up a hill so that he could try to get a, a cell phone signal to call nine one one. Yeah. He actually he reached re- emergency responders, but as he reached them, he looked down and saw that the bear came back for his friend. That bear was pissed. So then they. So then he bit. So the second one, they bit on the head and the <gasps> cheek. Oh my God. Yeah. So then they finally, he, the bear went away. Thank God the bear went away. And this poor guy drenched in blood is coming like down this mountain. And then they were able to find their other two friends who helped them get back to their car and to get to the emergency services. This is a terrible story. It is a story of true friendship though. I mean, honestly, if a bear was attacking you, Anne, I don't know if I would jump on it. You're going to leave. No, you cannot live with yourself. 
You think I'm going to jump on the bear's back? If you were a, a high, college wrestler, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe in those situations, you just, the adrenaline kicks in and you're just like, what can I do? I don't know. I hope I never have to know. I hope that, you know what? I would never be antler hunting. So I don't think I have to worry about that, but I don't know what you do. I think you just panic and you do whatever you can think of. Yeah. Well, it's a real story of friendship. I mean, the first guy did suffered very badly on his arm. Of course, the second guy got it much worse. There's pictures of him. He has stitches all over his face, like almost oh like goodness. Frankenstein. That's so scary. But they both lived. Thank God. And the other friends were like, I'm glad we went the other direction. Yeah. They're like, no, <laughs> it's like that Robert Frost poem to has diverged in a wood. And I took the one less travel by. And then the other friends like, and look at these antlers I found. <laughs> Our route was much better. You guys, I got some really good antlers though. So it was worth it. You guys don't get any blood on the antlers, please. <laughs> we'll get you there. Oh, Nelly. All right, Anne, but on to happier topics. <laughs> Let us bring on our guest. Yeah, we're so excited to have him. It's Jimmy Giannopoulos. You may know him as a musician. He's been in like successful bands, uh, Lola Wolf and Mother. And he's also an accomplished film director and he's like a jack of all trades. He does it all. Yeah, so please welcome uh, Jimmy Giannopoulos. Hi, Jimmy. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for being, and we have to thank Anna, our our social media um, manager your manager who harasses us to post instagrams constantly but you guys are our friends and she uh, reached out to you and you were like so lovely to come on so thank you yeah of course of course so jimmy you directed a film called the birthday cake that came out last year 2021 before we start talking about that film i just wanted to ask you you know i was like sort of diving into the internet about you. And I believe that you got your start in music, right? That's right. Yeah, so tell us like what you were in bands or and then how did you make that transition into directing? Yeah. Um, yeah, so my, my whole life since I was a kid, I've, it's always been all about music for me since I was five, probably, you know, <laughs> like, wow. You know, just hearing, you know, I remember being, I live in Chicago and I remember walking down the street um, and there was like a street, street sale, whatever they would call it, sidewalk sale. And I remember my parents were, I was walking with them and, and there was the Beastie Boys, you got to fight for your right to party was coming out of some <laughs> bodega or whatever, whatever is they had over there. And then I heard them after say it. And I thought that was so cool. I'm like, this sounds crazy. And and so Greek is my first language. So I was just kind of learning, you know, English. And and I remember them saying Beastie Boys and and then going to my cousin's house who was older and he had a Beastie Boys poster up and I kind of connected the dots. I was like, okay, that's that. What else do you have? And then the rest of his posters were like, death metal bands and like, <laughs> or like all this like crazy like stuff, but which was great. I actually got into all that. And then that kind of started it. And then, and then I started playing guitar around maybe like when I became a teen, my parents would send me and my brother off to Greece in the summers in the mountains with my grandparents. And I brought an acoustic once. And this was like right around the time when like Nirvana was popular. And then 
my friends were showing me like Black Sabbath and all the like this other stuff. So I started trying to kind of learn that stuff all like by myself. A few years later, I'm starting bands with my friends. By the time I'm out of high school, barely getting out of high school, barely <laughs> didn't graduate on time. Um, then I just started with the music and then playing and playing and you know, like I just did my thing with my guitars Then I got drum machines and then I started learning how to produce and moved to New York around 25, 26 and then continued on and just, you know, just worked a bunch of jobs to try to like be able to do music. And then around 30, I was able to quit bartending and just do music. And it's been a wild, wild ride. I learned a lot and I realized that what I love the most out of playing is not being on stage. It's like, I don't mind it. I think it's cool and it's fun. And like, there's really, it's really special. If someone hasn't ever been on stage and performed in front of people, it's, you should try it. It's amazing. You know, you get a whole, it's a whole experience that you really can't explain. And it's not even like in the beginning, it's a little nerve wracking, but then it just becomes like, it's like this other organism, you and like the crowd. But, but where I really, I think where my joy really like, clicked is the creating part of it you know not just the repeating it every night you know right. um even though like for me when i would go to shows these people on stage would change my life you know they would they would play these and i'm like oh my god but of course they played these songs a million times before and to them it was just like it was just another day they'll probably forget about but for me it was like changed my life so for me that was always really important but what really the part that really kind of gets me through it all is the creating part of it so and then and I've always messing around with whether it's painting or cameras and films or photography it's all about that creation and making something out of nothing and it's like an urge you know and I tell this to my friends and they think it's crazy but like the real ones really understand but I'm like because like I remember like watching like Dexter like years ago and I remember do you ever see that show that serial killer guy yeah. so he's like i just get an urge and i have to kill and then when and then he just and then he tries to direct it in a positive way or whatever that show was but but I was like, like jimmy i don't know if that's your best example no 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 but it really it really works because like it's like this urge with creating where sometimes i'm like i just have to make something so so whatever it is whether i get crayons or like i draw or paint a wall or make a song like when then once I do it I can like I can actually like calm down for like maybe even a few weeks but it builds up and builds up and builds up and I understand that about myself where I think I don't think it was inherent from when I was born where I had that I think that I've just been doing it since I was like a kid where I'm always creating and then it something is connected with the serotonin in my brain or something and yeah. so now it's like i have to just keep creating so then when i transferred over to doing film stuff i was always writing scripts and stuff i i noticed this is doing the same thing to to me like i i feel like i feel um, like satisfied and like i'm like all right cool i'm creating and creating so now it's you know i'm doing i started doing music again i just made this really great record with this artist tyler dean flores from harlem we're almost done. I recorded a record with my, my with an old bandmate of mine, James Levy. So now I'm able to like trying to do different sort of uh, projects. Like, I don't know, maybe like uh, producing a, 
uh, political campaign would do the same thing. I don't know. You know, it's like I, it's whatever it is that that just that creating and putting things together and then like the poetry of it and stuff is kind of what the thing that gets me going, you know, and, and the music is the vehicle. And I don't think I'm really good at any of the stuff, actually. I just keep doing it and keep doing it. I'm, I'm being honest. Like I sit like I just wrote a screenplay with a writer, this, this guy, Michael Levitin. He's an author. He's a real writer. Like I'm not like I don't consider myself a real writer. Like I don't consider myself a great a, a real guitar player. I've been playing my whole life, but he's a real writer. And then sitting and writing with him, that's his thing. Like like being able to work with people who are great and learn. And I'm like, oh, I never would have thought of it like that. Changing my perspective and really understanding, looking at things from a different angle and questioning and questioning. Things that usually get frustrating when you're like, I'm stuck. Then you get somebody who's great at that who comes in and they just kind of like say a few words and then you get unstuck. But yeah. like, so learning all that and that whole process is really, um, that's kind of what the thing that the best part of life for me, really. The collaboration and the... Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you're, it sounds to me like you're very good at like you moved here from Chicago to New York. It sounds like you must be good at um, joining artistic communities and finding like many people and collaborating with them to, to further your artistic goals. Would you say that's an accurate assessment? Yeah, I think I'm good at, yes, that is an accurate assessment. I think I'm good <laughs> at that. And you're right. And I like it so much that I, I mean, there was a, there was a, a shoe cobbler in Queens that a friend of mine years ago, this guy was from like Yugoslavia or something. And he would like, he like had old synthesizers and he had one in his, in his place and he would plug it in. It was just, it was kind of broken, but I would go there and just hang out with this guy and just kind of hear what he's doing. And, and I had just as much satisfaction from that. So that, that will take up all my time until I'm gone from this earth. But like, but I now at this point, I'm trying to like, okay, now let me just kind of elevate it all and just not watch the paint dry. Not that that was watching the paint dry, but like, I'm so easily amused with something sometimes that, and I love it so much. So now I'm trying to, like I said, working with Michael Levitin, this, this writer, I'm like, let me up it all. I think I'm, it comes natural for me to be enthusiastic and, and excited about anybody who's doing something creative. If I see it and I, I try to understand it and then I can jump in. So, so now I'm trying to like use that enthusiasm. And also the hardest part now is find the right collaborators where you're both, where there's trust and incentives are aligned. You know, because that's a whole yeah. other thing. That's a whole other trick. Some people are really good at that, you know. Um, right. So, so now it's like this next sort of this chapter I'm in now is like trying to find those collaborations so I can use that enthusiasm and like aim it in a direction that can propel me into a place I haven't been. So how did you, so it sounds, what's funny is like, it sounds to me like you just kind of stumbled upon deciding to like write this movie and then directed it and then got all these huge stars in it in a matter of a couple of years like how did that how did you do that I thought you were going to tell me you learned how to cobble shoes while you were in there like, like, just like I think I'm gonna write and direct a movie and it's going to be full of 9,000 A-list stars it's like um so I've I've been I've been writing like I said I'm always trying different things and writing and or whether it's writing or painting something or drawing so there's stuff all around that I'm doing all the time you know 
And and I I, I recorded a short. I, I filmed a short with my friend Shiloh Fernandez, who was the lead in the birthday cake. And you know, I got I would get different cameras and different lenses. So I just wanted to test some stuff out one night. And I heard some songs I liked. So I'm like, oh, let me connect these songs to this sort of idea and and let me try this lens out. So we filmed something and then that got into the hands of um, a producer who watched it, who was like, oh, I really fuck with this guy's aesthetic and his vibe. And then he reached out to me and he said, have you ever written anything? He was just kind of reaching out to me. to. He wanted me to score something for him. Okay. He did a score in this movie too. Yeah. Yeah. But so he wanted me to score something for some other film and then, and he kind of met me and I wasn't really interested in doing it. I was just like, I had just stopped doing music. I'm like, I'm going to try to find something else. I'm like, I'm not really, I don't want to do anything. I didn't want to do anything that was like corporate or official or score. I didn't want to do anything. I want to do my own shit. You know, I'm like, I don't want to work on your project. But then he was asking me, have you written something? Have you written something? And then Shiloh said, Shiloh told him about this thing that I had written, which was like, it was like 50 pages. And then the rest was all questions at the end. Well, what if this happened? And what if this happened? And what if this happened? Because I wasn't doing it to like write a script. I was just doing it to just tell a story and express myself and see if I can translate what's in my mind and like be poetic about it. And it was very, I was very like not trained at all and just kind of going off from the hip, you know, just from being a fan of cinema and films. Yeah. And, and then he read the script and he really liked it. And he said, I think maybe we can turn this into something. And I was in a band for, you know, eight years before that with, with two different actors, with Zoe Kravitz, with Lola Wolf, and with Penn Badgley, with Mother. You know, we would play a lot of shows and festivals and stuff like that. And then I'd bring my musician friends, they would bring their actor friends. And then I met a lot of different actors who kind of, uh, you know, artists are artists. They see something yeah. they kind of like, they're like, oh, you know, like I said, they fuck with you. And like, they see like your aesthetic or your vision or, and then people like kind of start to trust each other and they want to, and then when it was time to cast the film, I just kind of started calling people. And so I said, will you come pull up for me on a real level? Like, and just do like this film. And, and everyone kind of showed up like piece by piece, you know, and it kind of happened naturally like that and just kind of snowballed and the film happened. Yeah. So let's just talk about who's in this cast, because you do have a lot of name actors who sh who I, that's I love you know you say it all so casually they just showed up for me I'm sure there was like such a scheduling nightmare to get onto some of these people's calendars it, it was but that wasn't my job right. <laughs> uh, but as you mentioned Shiloh plays Geo he's the he's the main character right but then Lorraine Bracco plays his mother oh yeah just a little little somebody called Lorraine Bracco happened yes. to oh, but before you even go on I'll just tell you how synchronistic some of this stuff is yeah. Lorraine Bracco for example we were talking about this is a mob film where like who would be the perfect person to play Joe's mother in this film who is who is the person and I'm like yeah. well it's Karen from Goodfellas it's uh you know from Sopranos it's like this would be the ultimate person so we reached out to her right-hand person, her assistant, whoever, whatever her title is. And that person just so happened to know me from when I was bartending on the Lower East Side out. at the <laughs> living room in, in on Ludlow Street. And they said, wait a minute, is this Jimmy Giannopoulos who bartended at the living room? I guess. And then I remembered her and we were, and we were always cool. I'd give them drinks. They were great. She played in a band called Rawls Balls and, and we were all cool to each other. So, you know, it just goes to show like, be nice to people, be cool. Like, 
don't be weird. Like they were in this great band. And then she's like, oh yeah, I love Jimmy. This is great. I will talk to Lorraine and put in a good word. So, so like all these little things sort of kind of came together. The synchronicities. That's amazing. Yeah. So. Well, yes. And then you got Owen McGregor who plays the priest. Yep. Val Kilmer plays the mob boss. I mean, these are like, not like, you know, oh, maybe you've heard of them. These yeah. are like yeah. name, name, like big name people. Then, as you mentioned, your friends from band from the band uh, with Penn Badgley. Yeah. Paul Servino was in it. I would think this might have been his last. Was this his last role? I'm not sure, actually. One of the last, for sure. Yeah. Luis Guzman. He was so funny. I love that whole scene where they're in the car. Marla Naples. I yelled. When I saw Marla Naples <laughs> show up on screen, I went, Marla Maples? My son watched the movie with me. And he he was like, what? I was like, well, hold on a second. Marla Maples. How did that happen? Well, you know, Mar I, did Marla come down to the living room? What happened? <laughs> well, no, no. So, so, well, first of all, Marla is just such a sweetheart and such a beacon of energy. She's great. No, she's talented. And she's just, she was so nice to have on set. Everyone was taking photos of her. She was all smiles. And it was really, she was great. We just, you know, we were kind of like, and I, we were like, who can we get to play the lead mob boss's wife? Um, yeah, but so we reached out to Marla and she was game. You know, she showed up, she was game, yeah. And she looks fabulous too. Looks great. Yeah. Then Jeremy Allen White is in it. Ashton, Vincent Pastore, William Fitchner, and Aldous Hodge. Hodge, right. excuse me. Like these are all like I mean I have to say Jimmy whoever put this together for you did a did a fabulous <laughs> job. Yeah, yeah. It was myself and uh, my um, a, a bunch of producers. Everyone, it was a team effort, and everyone. We just kind of as soon as, I, like I decided to commit, and then my producing partners decided, we all said okay, everyone's actually committed here, and and we locked in. I have the work ethic from music. They have their work ethic. It was just the right team. And we just said, let's just do it. Let's just go and go and go. And, you know, reaching out to friends, like you said, like Penn or Jeremy, who I know from, from the neighborhood and from friends and like that, people who- He was great. That I loved that, the whole scene in the bakery with everybody, yeah. I, that, I think that was my, my favorite. And my girlfriend, Clara, was in the bakery scene also. Um, yeah, she's great. She's great. And her father is Ewan, so she- passed him along the script and he was, he read it and he's like, this is cool. I can, sure, I can do this. And it just kind of all. Amazing, yeah. Yeah. So well, so the way the story is structured, it's almost like, uh, I wanna say it's almost like Dante's Inferno. It's a it's a journey and, and it just keeps getting worse and worse for this poor Gio as he goes along. Right. So it's structured, well, it, start, it starts 10 years in the past with establishing that Gio's father has been killed and you know he's having a tough time his cousin is trying to help him but he's sort of being picked on by people i guess more than picked on by people at school fast forward 10 years later it's the annual celebration of his father's life that he's going to at val kilmer's house and the and the majority of the movie takes place over the course of this night and his journey from his mother's house to Val Kilmer's house and all the people he meets along the way. Right. Um, so tell us like how you decide, like, first of all, how did you come up with it? It's, I'm sorry, it's called the birthday cake. I'll say it again. 
the birthday cake. How did you come up with the idea for this movie? And then, you know, what was, uh, you know, what was your thought behind uh, structuring it in such a way so that you just sort of kept kept going with different characters coming in and out? Well, a lot of it is just is just me not not knowing what I was doing, really, because I've never done it before. So I was like picturing if I was in this person's shoes and I was going this way, knowing what I know living in New York for a long time. I know a lot of people, I'll leave their names out of it, who were like in the in connected um, a long time ago and and they're still everywhere and they're in the neighborhoods and and I know them and I see them and I know some of them really well and like you're walking down the street, I'm walking down the street with one of the, one of these guys and like they're just just an old man, you know? And yeah. he's just like a nice old man. And then you see all these like hipsters around him. And, and then I'm like, oh my God. And then he introduces me to like his other friends, these other old guys who hang out at a social club. And I'm like, oh my God, these guys are all still here. And then you see how some of the businesses run. And, and, then, and then once I saw all that, I'm like, wait a minute, you could actually make a mob movie about New York today. Because before I'm like, you can't do that. That doesn't exist anymore. That's just not the way it works. But you could if you do it, if it's kind of like the wallpaper and it's done a little different and it, they're not like building a casino in Times Square because that's not, that would be, that would be a different kind of mob. That would be like the city officials or something these days, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, so like, but you know, but I was like, you know, thinking about that classic stuff that I grew up watching. So I, as soon as I saw that that still existed and there was a way there was, that became like a vehicle to tell the story. Um, and then I, I went to go see this movie called Victoria. It was a German movie from this, I'm blanking on the director's name, but it's actually all done in one shot. Oh, and, it's a, okay. and it's a heist movie. It came out in 2016 and I went to see it and I didn't know it was in one shot. And I didn't even know after I left, I didn't understand, like I just watched this movie and I was so captivated and, I'm, and it was the story, it took place like in two hours or like an hour and a half, hour long the film is. And it was the same thing. It was sort of like an odyssey. It was like a bank. They they meet these two groups of people meet, and then they go on to do this bank heist, and then it goes wrong. And it all happens kind of in real time. So I really liked that structure. And originally, I really wanted to make this film in a one shot because I was just trying to think of a simple sort of thing. Like I don't want to spoil anything, but like he carries the cake through the through you know from his mother's house to his uncle's house yeah. and. And that came from, from when I was a kid, um, I grew up in a Greek family and the youngest always carried the desserts oh, when you went to a family's, right. okay. yeah, when you, when you went to a family, like my uncle's house for like Easter or Christmas or whatever, my mom would be like, here, you, you're carrying this. And then I would bring it in. I remember my cousins would be like, ah, ha, ha, they're making you carry the desserts. And I, and then I didn't feel like I was a grown up. I felt like I was, they'll tell my mom, like, I don't want to carry this so you know I, i'm a i'm a i'm a grown-up now my mom's like would just like smack me and be like no you're not you're carrying it in you know so so then that to me kind of resembled like you know with geo his mom still making him carry the cake and it still symbolizes yeah. they're not letting him grow and he's kind of sheltered and you see how they all protect him so it kind of all just came together and then i just threaded that through the neighborhood um I always think of creating and like artists, it's like art, it's not like sports. I love sports, but it's not like sports. It is not like that. It's not competitive like that to me at all. But sometimes I say to people, I'm like, I don't even know what I was doing. I was just kind of trying to figure it out. They say, don't say that. 
you got to be confident in this. I'm like, yo, I am confident. I'm just trying to be honest because yeah. like being confident is saying I wasn't sure what I was doing. I was just going out there and just trying my best. Like I've done so many times in my life. And the first time I went on stage, the first time I played a big show, the first time I broke a string on stage, so many things go wrong. You just go out there and you, I'm, I'm used to pressure. I've been under pressure my whole life that now it's like, that doesn't even, I don't even feel it when it comes to that specifically. Wow. So I just kind of threw it together and went. Well, how was it, you know, cause like you said, you're admittedly new to everything and having these like heavy hitter actors, like what was it like directing them or giving them direction? That part was great. Like that part I, was amazing. I'm just, I just collaborated with so many people with music, so many great artists. Um, I've sat behind the computer like I am right now with a vocalist sitting right here who's from someone who doesn't know what they're doing to to some to like somebody who's at, like to Miley Cyrus, you know what I mean? To like so many different people. And you learn, you know, when you collaborate with people, you it's very again, it's not like sports. You can't be like harder, harder, more, faster. You kind of have to play with the intention a little bit, you know, and it's more of, it's a little more delicate um, the way. And I think I learned a lot of that through through working on music when I'm trying to get something out of somebody. And I just kind of transferred that over to film and it didn't fail me. I think that, I think all the actors that I work with truly respect it actually, because maybe some of them are used to working with some people who aren't great at collaborating yeah, they could be amazing directors, but it doesn't mean you're a great collaborator, you know, or a good collaborator. Um, I think just like anything else, the more you do it, the more, um, especially if you want to be there, the more uh, fluid you could be and you could pass the ball back and forth. Yeah. So you weren't really intimidated. It sounds to me like you what's cool is you just whether it's the cobbler down the street or Val Kilmer, it's just like a cool guy that you're hanging out with and and learning from. It is intimidating when you're sitting across from Val Kilmer, though. It is because that's like, <laughs> because that's like, a, you know, I'm not going to like front and be like, you know, when I first went to meet up with him, he wanted to meet up and, and to ask why we wanted him in the film. And I'm pretty sure like there's a few moments that just kind of, I think I blacked most of that out. I just kind of <laughs> trusted my instincts. And, but you know, like that guy, man, Val is, and I didn't know this about him obviously because I never met him I just knew his films and I was huge so always a huge fan of his and still I'm a huge yeah. fan of his he's a great actor and he does so much with his eyes I was just gonna say that because he he was so great in this movie because obviously he can't speak very well anymore but his the way he looks around the room and you know right. what he he does so much with like his inner yeah. monologue and you can yeah. It was really, really something great to watch. It was, I was floored on set when he was, I would turn to my DP, Sean Price Williams, great. And I would look at him and he would just give me a look. He'd be like, yeah, like yeah. he's, you're getting more than you're asked than, than you bargained for, you know? And, and, but that's somebody who's such a pro. And so when I, you know, I, I mean, I fumbled, you know, everyone fumbles, but like when I went to first meet him, I remember he asked me, he asked me a question, like I misunderstood. I, I don't remember what it was, but he was trying to ask me who are you going to, if I don't do it, who are you going to go to or something? And I don't know the, I guess that's a thing that like when actors say that you're supposed to say nobody, 
You're the right. only person that can do this, you know? And I understand that, you know, I get it. But I'm also, I've also been collaborating with people so much in my life. And I don't know, like 99% of the time, I don't get what I want. So like, like anybody else, like you have a plan B and a plan C. And, you know, yeah. so I'm like, oh, well, you know, this person, this person, and he picked <laughs> up a, and he picked up a Batman doll off his desk and he just whipped it at me, you know, um, but, but it was, it was a little teddy bear like thing, but, and then, and, and then he just looked at me and I'm like, oh wait, yeah, I get it. I'm not supposed to say that. But I said, I'm like, but I, I did it. I, I'm like, you are the person for this, you know? Yeah. You're like, the show will go on if you don't do it now. I do, but yeah, I do want you. So you, I'm assuming, how many days did you, was the, was the length of the shooting? Not long at all. We probably, I think we had like 16 days or something. Wow. And was it all at, I mean, it takes place at night, but was all the filming done at night or some of it was during, I mean, there are interior scenes. Yeah. Um, no, it wasn't all at night. A lot of it was at night. It was super, super like, it was really like, we, we didn't have time to do anything. We had like, there's no reshoots There's Sometimes you only get one take. Like that's how fast we were moving. Like it was just really brutal. I wish I can't even imagine the kind of movie I would have made if I had 10 more days, you know, because yeah. we had to take things out from the script, connective tissue. There's so, I realized something really important when directing that movie. I'm like, oh, wait, so directing movies basically just like problem solving and putting out fires the entire time, unless you're somebody who has enough time to do it. But no, you don't have enough time to do anything. And there's so many things that get in the way, so many things like whatever it might be, the infinite amount of variables, but like you're just constantly just, Let's just try to make it work, try to make it work. And that's happening all the time. It's kind of soul sucking, but it also gets your adrenaline going. You know, you're like, let me try to, let's see how good I am on my toes, you know? And then in the editing room, when you're sitting there, you're hoping you have everything. And you know what? We had most everything, but the things that I knew that we needed to have, but it was my first go around again. So I didn't, I wasn't really sure when to speak up on some things. I learned, it was like film school. That first film was film school. You yeah. just learn so fast. You're learning, you're learning. Oh, I should have done this, should have done this. You're learning, learning, and you put it all together. And it was, it was amazing. It was like one of the greatest experiences I think I've ever had. Like having a budget of whatever it was, like one and a half million dollars or something. Usually my budget is, you know, $10,000 to create something. So it's like a whole different ball game. And it's, it's pretty special to be able to do that. I feel very grateful. Yeah, well, you took on a lot with this because you wrote it, you directed it, and I believe you were the music director for it as well. I did a score too with my with uh with a friend of mine, Tim Timothy Sandusky. Yeah. Yeah. So, do I mean in like hindsight, twenty twenty, you're saying you learned so much. We're you know looking back, are you like maybe I shouldn't have done all those things, or you're like I'm glad I did it because I had control over the film that I wanted to make, or you know what's your what's your take? No, no, that's good. It that's a good question. I I. No, I'm glad I did all those things. I'm glad because that's that's how you learn you, through experience. And I didn't want to do the score. I wanted to get either Nils from or Mika Levi. There's all these people I wanted to get, but the pandemic had just hit and my father had gotten sick. He's fine now, but I, I, I flew to Chicago and I was staying to be near my father. Um, and it was a crazy time in the world. And so, but where I was staying was in a, 
in a recording studio. I was sleeping in a recording studio because I couldn't be near my dad because of COVID. And, and like I said, he was sick, so I had to be careful. So I was living in a recording studio trying to get a composer just, you know, while I'm remote editing, driving back and forth from Chicago to New York, like during this time, it was insane. I'm trying to get it, trying to get a musician, trying to get a musician to compose this. And then eventually I'm just sitting in this recording studio. I'm like, I mean, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I don't know how long this is going to last. I looked at Tim, who I was staying with there, whose studio was, I said, maybe we should just do it. And he's like, we're not doing anything else. Everything is closed. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of like sighed. I'm like, okay, okay, let's try. Let's try, you know, because it's like, I was just kind of, I was really excited about the idea of somebody else giving it, adding a narrative to it. Yeah. Um, with the film. I, it's just as a fan, as a fan, I just like, there's so many composers that I love. I'm like, oh my God, if this person touched this, I would lose my mind, you know? So I was just trying to figure it out. But then um, I did it and it was, it was, it was cool. I liked it. I liked doing it. It was fun. I got a lot out of it. I don't know if I would do it again, but, but it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now you have one film under your belt and I read that you have another one coming out in January and you're using a lot of the same actors again, Ashley Benson, Luis Guzman, Clara McGregor, Luke Weary, uh, and you've added in Pamela Anderson and Paris Hilton. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so that movie is called Alone at Night. Do you wanna give us a, a sneak preview of what, what that movie's all about? So again, it, this was like during the pandemic and we, we couldn't just film, oh, here's a film where it's a cross country road trip or like it takes place in Paris at a, you know, family reunion. It's like you couldn't do like these things because everyone needed a social distance and on set, it was like yeah. only four people could be in the room at the same time. It was just like- So you, you just went right into the next film. Right, right into it, yeah, okay. yeah. Wow. So because, yeah, so we just wrapped everything at Birthday Cake. so. And one of the producers on the film was always kept saying, let's turn a bad thing into a good thing with the pandemic. Let's try to like, let's try to show something for this time instead of just sitting at home, or, but doing it in a safe way. And that was a big thing. It's like, how can we do this in a way where no one gets sick? Like I said, like I know people who are getting sick and I'm like, it's a little nerve wracking. You don't know what's going on. So, you know, there's, but there's ways to do it. You know, there's like COVID compliance and like, and then you realize you, you get the hang of it. And then we figured it out. And then we, I've always been a fan of like um, B horror movies, like, especially, especially like I just recently watched um, the New York Ripper, which is a wild movie. Um, but there's like all these old, like late, like after like the late seventies that there was a whole slew of all these sort of like, really cool like B movies and I've always liked them and and there's something about them that just you know it's not the Shawshank Redemption you know but it's uh it's something else you know so I, we got together with Ashley and one of my producers and we just kind of started coming up with some different concepts like what's going on in the world right now there's COVID at the time I had a roommate when I was in Los Angeles who who he does like um only fans and all these sorts of like webcamming. Uh -oh. right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, so I was, you know, like very curious and like, like, this is interesting. A lot of people are like making money doing this during this downtime, you know? Um, 
and then and then uh who was it uh bella thorne or somebody had just made like a million dollars in like a month oh, it's, like, it's catch me outside how about that girl oh yeah sure what one oh, of, from, one of those... uh, from dr phil yeah she right, she right. Made like it was something like i think she turned 18 like the day she turned 18 she made yeah. like a, a million dollars yeah that's right that's right catch me outside yeah so so <laughs> so like, my hat is tipped to you <laughs> hey you know what the funny thing is i i was trying to get her in the birthday cake you were <laughs> i wanted i wanted to cast her in the birthday cake. i'm like this girl she would have been good yeah, no, she would be great. Like she, I saw her. I'm like, this girl is wild. Like this, like, like I, I'm just attracted to like energy. Like, <laughs> like, I'm like, I see it, and I'm like, there's a lot here. Let's, especially when you're making a film, because yeah, you're basically baby. isn't that, is that her name? Bad baby, bad Barbie. I think that's her name. Something like bad that. Barbie, something bad like that. Barbie. Yeah. So, so yeah, so we, so you know, we came up with this concept that was kind of fun, and I was, I was trying to, we we're trying to keep it in like this B horror sort of world, um, not to take ourselves too seriously, and and just make it and make it fun because at the time, you know, nothing was fun, you know, in the world at all. So we're like, let's try to have fun with it, and so we kind of went and we put it together and. And you see how I like to cast, you know? So I'm like, let's just continue on that and get people who I've, who I think would be like, I'm like, who are going to be the two, like the deputy and the sheriff. And I'm just thinking, okay, this is like a bee whore. This is like, a, I'm thinking who are two people that would just, if I saw it, I personally, me, I would love it the way I saw certain things when I was a kid. So. I love ASAP Nass. I think he's one of the most talented rappers out there and he's got such great style and everything about him. He's so we thought he would be great next to Pamela Anderson, like these like this icon and like this yeah. future icon, like this no, he's an icon now. These two people together just it just kind of um I think it got everybody involved, like who who got it. Some people completely don't get it and will never get it. And right. when the movie comes out, they won't get it. Right. But there's there's a there's a few people who really totally are on our wave and that was the point of the film like we wrote down fun and like put it on the wall and we're like when we don't know the answer to something let's just look at that that's gonna help auto-tune us to like the way we need to go yeah so it's like oh but you can't put them together like nest has never acted this and they were like well fun let's just stick with fun let's go with it and we went that way and and that's how, kind of how we put it together with that sort of like motivation when does it come out it sounds fun it comes out um at the end of january i'm not sure what okay. the date is like 20 something is it done or are you still doing like post on it no no it's done it's done it's okay. finished yeah it's really fun it's it's really trippy as a filmmaker you know i made the birthday cake like i said that was like that was when i finished that i'm like all right i just went to film school yeah. hopefully i hopefully i graduated at least two years from right. film school like well it was also a, a new york times critics pick by the way i i know you won't say that but it it was so i i think you probably got a good grade in film school <laughs> yeah well you know like and the thing the thing about me and like like reviews and stuff because i've put out probably a thousand songs in my life and i've put out songs that people said were trash and then i've played them in front of 3000 people and like everyone turned up and I'm like this really united everybody and it was great. So I don't really it's really tricky when you're looking at like reviews and stuff because it only means so much obviously, but you can get really wrapped up in it anybody can. 
But for the birthday cake, for example, like a lot of reviews, people hated the movie. And that was, it was kind of like people, a lot of people hate it. A lot, the audience really loved it. A lot of critics hate it. New York Times, that to me was great because I'm like, all right, cool. Somebody got it. So, but it was good. People like the right people connected with it. And, and for me, like I said, this is like, it's, I'm just trying to forever be evolving and learning. And I didn't grow up rich kid or anything. So I didn't go to school to like learn this stuff to cut my teeth on it. So the way I have to move in the world is I, I create like in real time with projects, you know, I'm not like, so I make errors on stage. I make errors on film. I make like, I'm, I have to learn in person because like I, that's, that's how just, that's the, the, the cards I was handed, you know? So I'm used to like opportunities. Yeah. Creating my opportunities and like doing it and doing it in real time. And then you learn, you start to learn. And I've learned so much from the first film and the second film. The second film was wild because like, you know, we needed like 28 days to film it. We got like half of that or something. So that was, and there was COVID yeah. and, and then we were on a mountain and it, shooting it. And then there was no Wi-Fi and the power went out and then you had even less days. And we were like, holy shit, how are we going to possibly do? And then what I, I thought the, the birthday cake was like challenging. Then this was like, war you know making this second one and then and then after we did that and then edited with this great editor leo scott he's amazing you you're in the room with leo i was in the room with leo for a long time talking about what i could have got what could have made it better this and that some scenes you just we just couldn't shoot because we just didn't have time like and then i started to really understand and a lot of people are going to hate me for saying this, but like, or like not hate me, they're going to be like, how did you not know this? But really, really value the writing yeah. on, a, on another level yeah. to the point where I'm just like, man, like when I'm putting together a film, I'm getting a DP. I can shoot my ass off with my camera. I shoot videos, people, I do all this, but I go and I get a great DP. If I'm getting sound, I know how to do sound, but I get a great sound person. I can design, uh, I can put plants up and paint the wall, but like, I get a great production designer. People who do this, this is what they do. This is like what they do. I get them. That's how you make something great. You're as good as your team is, right? Yeah. So so then I'm like, writing is like the seed of everything, right? And yeah. so again, I don't have access to great writers. Like I'm just me. I don't know. I just know who I know, who I meet. So then after, now I'm like, okay, I need to work with a great writer at now because that's where everything is and and i've learned so much and i've gotten a lot better and you get better you keep growing and but like i need to treat the writing the same way as i treat the dp or or the gaffer or the or anything else like i can't you can't just be like well i wrote it so we're gonna make it well i mean shouldn't i get a great shouldn't i work with great writers also you know and this is not a knock to me or whoever else worked on the script like everyone is is great, but I I want to go up. Like I want to be able to really tell the story in the most powerful way possible. I've been really the last few years just focusing and putting all my work into that part of it. So my next project, I finally feel like I'm going to almost make my first film mm. for the next film I'm gonna do. Because man, the last four years have been 
it's like, like I said, like university. And so now I'm just, I feel like I've crossed my T's dotted my eyes. And I understand that there's so much that I still don't know, but now I finally am in a place where I'm like, okay, now I can really do the things that I was kind of guessing before a little bit going, relying heavily on instincts, but you want to rely heavily on your instincts, but have a, the most solid foundation you can have. Make sense? That's good advice just in life. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, ju it's just universal. Yeah. But when you're, when you're working and you're creating and there's so much like abstract, like, um, like you get inspired by visuals and like all these different things that you can get lost in that, you know, and you can just be like, oh, this will make up for it. Or this will make up for it. But like, you have to almost break it down to black and white and like really kind of look at the, the, the like the foundation, like the, the structure of it. And again, something you probably uh, learn in film school <laughs> or not, or not. I don't right. know. Well, and I'm just wondering, like you said, on both films, because of time or different problems, you'd have to cut scenes. So since you were the screenwriter as well, does that mean that you're then sitting there being like, oh, no, we have to cut this scene. So now I have to write something that's going to be able to bridge the two if we don't have that scene. Like, are you actually then writing while you're directing while this whole thing is happening? Well, you're not actually getting to you're not actually writing anything down. You're just doing the math in your head. In your head. You're just like. You're like, okay, so that what's the most important part of that scene that we're not going to be able to get? What is right. the intention of that scene? How do I now thread that? What's the most appropriate place to put that information? You're doing it in your head in real time while somebody's saying, we got to shoot this next scene. Yeah. And you're like, so then it's just, it's just like this constant, constant, like doing math in your head. And you, I want to say everyone pause, let's get everyone around the table, bang out some ideas, but no, like, you know, time is money a lot of money on these film sets you know and you got to respect the money because that's what pays for your concept or your story yeah right. well i gotta say jimmy you've taken a lot on in the last few years well while most <laughs> people are home in their sweatpants you have made uh two films yeah <laughs> yeah that part of it isn't is not exhausting that part of it is just is actually the opposite it's what gives me energy it's the it's the in between that's actually exhausting you know oh i don't know because i was one of the people sitting in my sweatpants a lot of, there was a lot of sweatpants time for me for me too the, so i i think yeah. you could throw in you could become like a, a motivational speaker take take that on the road too for that if anybody ever asks me a question that i feel like i can help with i'll either I, i'm the first person to want to try to help um, but i got to be careful because sometimes i'm just like wait don't do anything like Make sure, but you got to learn from your experience. You got to actually got to go and do it because that's the best way to learn. Unless, like I said, unless you can go to school or unless you have the resources to like go and try things for a few years. And I think 99% of people don't have that. So. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Right? Like it's impossible. Like there's very few, there's like 0.1% of the population who can actually like has that luxury to be like, I'm going to just, sit back for five years and just kind of like figure it out but like when i when i put my mind and heart into something it takes over all my time and all my energy so like it's kind of hard to be you know flipping burgers and doing that at the same time i did it for a long time i know you know it's like yeah. you move you're moving at 25 miles an hour when you do that i want to be going at a thousand miles an hour you know 
Yeah, it's, it's, I, I want to, I like to motivate people as much as I can because I've been motivated by so many people in my life that have encouraged me to go out there and it's, it's okay to fall on your face yeah. get back and get back up and do it again. It's better. That's better than to not do it at all. And that is the fucking realest thing ever because even when you, you know, you see that in films when you test screen a movie, like you watch the edit, you're doing like the, second or third cut and you're like oh this is really working i feel like everyone's gonna like really get it and then you go show it to like 10 people and you're in the room five seconds in you're like oh my god we this is why are we even starting with this scene and like it becomes <laughs> it becomes so clear like magic and then you cut that scene and you were right but you don't know until there's at least me for me specifically but other people have told me this so i i'm guessing it's not just me but like you you need to like do it and then experience it and then you learn learning is not you don't just learn by reading you know there's like these other ways that you gain knowledge and stuff like that i'm sure you guys have done that a million times on this podcast you know you listen to the the last one or the one before compared to like the next one and you're just like oh we could have gotten to that you know like or whatever yeah, I have to say I think what i've taken from this conversation with you Jimmy that i find so admirable is that it doesn't seem like a lot of people have a little voice inside their heads that so doubt as to what they can do. And it doesn't seem like you have that little voice that's that's saying, yeah. like, who am I to direct a movie? Who am I to go meet with Val Kilmer? Like, it just seems like you just are like, I yes, of course, I'm going to go meet with Val Kilmer. Of course, I'm going to do this movie. Like, I think you have such a positive and uh, energetic outlook that it seems like whatever you want to do, you're going to you're going to wind up doing it. Like say, saying yes to it. And, lear and learning from whoever, whatever, like. That, yeah, I mean, we're all, we're all the same. We're all just like, everybody who's successful once wasn't successful. Everyone who did, everybody's in the same exact boat, you know, so why not? Right, exactly. Yeah. Not why, but why not? Why not me? Yeah. Yeah. Why I'm going to take, I'm taking that one. Come on, Chrissy. Why not? <laughs> why not? Yeah. Well, that was yeah. like when we started this podcast, why not do a podcast? Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, you could, I mean, there's a million things like, well, I got to get a job and pay for rent and I got to do this. It's like, you have to have enough like fire to like, you have to, you have to sacrifice. Right. So like how much of a beating can you take really also? And there's two ways, there's two ways it works. Like if, again, if you have the resources, then you can use them to like figure things out. Or if you have no resources, then you're used to everybody saying you can't do that, you know? And then yeah. you start to do things and you're like, wait, I thought you said I couldn't do that. How did I just do this? And then you're like, oh, <laughs> wait a minute. You actually don't know what you're talking about. So there's, everyone has their own story, right? Like you yeah. just gotta have the drive and be prepared to like, it's gotta be okay for someone to say, you don't know what you're talking about. You suck. What are you doing? Oh, this impossible, this. That's what the, literally like the entire Hollywood, it seems like, it seems like it's just set up every turn of the way. Everyone says, that's not gonna happen. It's impossible. It's not gonna happen. Every, every step of the way, it's almost comical. It's almost comical how everybody tells you that's not possible. Right. So whenever I hear it's not possible at this point, like, of course it's discouraging and I go through like my shit just like everybody else. But the more you hear it, the more you don't trust the person. You know, yeah. you trust the person who says it is possible because I know it's possible. So it's easier. It's easy barometer. Someone who goes, you, we can do this. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, cool. I trust you, not them who said we can't yeah. because 
they don't know what the fuck they're talking about because yeah. they're clearly not right because right. I've I've proven it wrong a bazillion times, you know, in little ways, right? Yeah. So surrounding yourself with people who like have a shared vision, have a shared appreciation right. and sense of optimism and right. And are part of you formed a com creative community. Exactly. And like and knowing people's in intentions and finding ways for them to complement to align with yours you know like like you need this okay i can i can help you get this if you help me with this and then now you're working together and now you're stronger and that's like that's a big part of like producing right like you can get someone to work for a hundred hours straight if they really want something you know yeah. and if that's going to help you now you just got and then i will work a thousand hours straight if i want it so like now you're just building and then you get a team of that it's like a machine. My God, you're inspiring me, Jimmy. <laughs> this has been very inspiring. What's next? So what's I I I feel like we're probably gonna say nine thousand things. What are you working on now? Um, so I'm doing some music stuff. I'm working on a few different a few different film projects right now. Um, like I said, that one film that I wrote with uh, the writer Michael Evitson. Um, it's like a New York City love story, like um so we we put that story together and now we're just we're just starting to kind of cast it trying to find out who the right people for these roles are and and there's a few there's a few other things that that are still i'm not gonna say but they're really they're exciting but i'm just kind of like they're in the early stages but it's very promising that stuff percolating stuff is percolating percolating exactly <laughs> exactly well, Jimmy, it has been a pure delight talking to you and people should go watch the birthday cake that is yep. out already and go see in January alone at night. Well, I'm excited. Yeah, it's it, it's fun. It's it's a fun film. Oh, I think great. you guys are going to if you watch it, you're going to laugh. I love a good horror movie. Well, thank you so much, Jimmy. It was great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was really it was really cool talking to you guys and it's always fun and nice having conversations like this about this sort of stuff because when you say it out loud it kind of like it resonates in a different way yeah i feel like people are going to get some good inspiration this time chrissy instead of our usual garbage this is exciting <laughs> <laughs>